0: Welcome to a beautiful faith. where We give voice to all that makes faith beautiful. And uh, today, I am sitting across the table from a very beautiful face. Aww. And our guest, Caleb Isley, who is joining us today. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> what's great is just before we started recording, I had faith, you wouldn't. I do I opened. I opened by telling Caleb, "Hey, Henry and I are probably going to riff for a minute or two, and then we'll we'll introduce him." And then I immediately jumped in to Caleb being here. I love it. No, um, Henry, you also you just, are a you beautiful You just deconstructed face. my journey. Oh, I, but I love you. Um, oh, that reconstructed. Thank All you. Right. Um, so uh, I'm excited today because this is the first time that we're able to do our, our kind of mini-series within the show um, called The Return, where we are kind of delving into experiences and stories of people who, are, who have been on the reconstructive journey or who are currently on it. And so today we are joined by Caleb Isley, who is... A personal friend of both of us, someone that I connected with years ago through some of my work with another ministry. Um, so Caleb currently lives out in Portland, Oregon, working with social media um, for the Oregon Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and runs a page called Humans of Adventism, which is um, kind of a branch off of Humans of New York. Uh, same kind of idea, but really celebrating the stories and the the, the people within the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. And so um, Caleb and I met cause he reached out to me on Facebook after reading something that I had wrote for something else. And then we became friends after that. And now we cannot avoid each other. Um, <laughs> and uh, we keep running into each other everywhere and it's wonderful. And I, um, couldn't be more thrilled about it. Um, Henry, do you want to say anything
1: to give Caleb a bigger head? Oh yeah. Well, no, I just, it's, it's been great knowing Caleb and it's, I'm sorry, we don't live closer anymore. But when we first met, we did live much closer. And I still remember, this sounds like such a Southern thing. We met at a -A (laughs) Chick-fil-A and uh, (laughs) sat there and had a conversation. And uh, it was just really beautiful. And I just really appreciated his heart and what he was Mm. doing. And I was just like, yeah, I got to keep this guy around. And then he, you know... Moved halfway across the country, but whatever. Yeah.
0: Halfway? Uh, he moved completely well, across the I country. Mean, well, you could have gone to Alaska, but um, Hawaii. No, I'm uh,
1: trying to include the non-continental <laughs> U.S., but you're right. Anyway, he moved a lot further, but only in space, not in a heart. Yeah. Uh, and, before uh, we do continue, uh, just a special thank you
0: um, to the Carolina Conference of Seventh-day Adventists for allowing us to use their uh, recording space. Uh, we just want to say thank you for that, because all three of us are here recording for a different podcast um, that I am a part of. And they're allowing us to use some of their time, some of their office time. And they're all just sitting here quietly while we, while we talk.
1: Um, but thank and you it, to and them. And it's rare to be able to sit yeah. in the same physical place and, and yeah. do this. Because most of the time when you hear us, we're two different states mm-hmm. usually even and communicating across. So this is kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Caleb, how far, how far is Portland from, from Charlotte? If you're going to drive? Yeah. 40 hours probably. Okay. That's so, a rough
0: estimate. So Caleb and C- Caleb and Henry are forty hours apart. That means I am thirty four hours <laughs> apart from Caleb and I am six hours apart from Henry. So um, I hate to you know come in between you both, but here I am. so the mm-hmm. this is this is really cool to be sitting across the table. It's a privilege, and it's something that i that I love and I'm excited, Caleb, to kind of dive into your um your story and your journey. and I think um, I guess a good place to to simply start is. Um, give us a bit of background of kind of, this is your faith journey. So mm. it, when when talking about your, your journey of faith, both deconstruction and asking questions and addressing doubts and then reconstructing and putting that all back together into what you currently believe and where you currently are, um, kind of give us some background on the beginning of that faith journey, whatever that beginning is for you. I don't want to say like your childhood or whatever, but whatever that beginning is for you.
2: Well, it was my childhood.
0: Okay, great. Um,
2: <laughs> the I guess I want to preface all of my life story by saying uh, there's no answer that I can give that's linear. And that's what makes it so hard to talk about my own life. Everything's in a million pieces. Everything is in a million branches. Um, so, you know, if it gets hard to track kind of where I was at different periods, um, I did bounce around quite a bit, moved to several different states, these kinds of things. So, you know, I just... Hopefully I'll, I'll be clear about how that happened, but um, the world that I was born into, uh, my family both came from the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, generations back, uh, the kind of stories where some of the very early founders of the church, maybe the generation after them, uh, knocked on the door of somebody or gave them literature or whatever and converted not only that person, but the, the line after them. So, um, you know, I went to the same Adventist high school that my parents had met at and married later, grandparents had met at and married later, great grandparents had met Mm. at and married later. The, the lineage with this, with this religion goes way, way back for me. Um, but when I was born, uh, my parents were very young. I think my mom was 20, uh, very, very poor and, um, Lived in a little trailer house in Mississippi, dirt road, Um, right next to my dad has twin brothers that are older than him. So both of them and their families lived uh, close to us. So we were kind of this cloud of cousins, uh, little kids running around outside barefoot, uh, very much in an area where law enforcement and regulations and uh, that kind of thing were far away. Mm. Uh, this was the, the land where, uh, you could have whatever junk you wanted on your property. You could do whatever you wanted with your land and your life, but public resources were very hard to come by, mm. uh, to the point where even when I was born, I, my mom actually left to a different state to have me, um, just trusted the hospitals more there. Um, but the, the trailer house that I was born into didn't even have running water and electricity. Uh you know, relatively soon mm-hmm. before I was born. So uh, my first four years of life were just very, very unique and different from anyone's story that I've encountered, aside from my own family. Mm. Um, but before I got to first grade in kindergarten, my parents decided that this was not the life that they wanted for us. And so uh, scraped things together, decided to go back to where they had met in high school, uh, Cicero, Indiana. And uh, found a little, I think we lived in a basement, someone's basement at first, just to get there. Yeah. And then uh, we're able to, you know, my parents found work and that kind of thing and eventually ended up living, you know, independently as a family. Uh, But uh, even then, we were living on the campus of Indiana Academy, the the Adventist high school where my parents had Mm. gone. Uh, And so I was always very close to the church culturally. I was always in spaces physically that the church owned. So high school, church, they had a farm attached to it that my dad had worked for. Um, And so I think there was this cultural attachment where later in life my parents would kind of separate from the religion and the faith side of it. Um, But there was always this cultural foundation where this was still our community. This was still our network of people. And so... From first grade through the end of, of Academy, I was in the same town there in Indiana. At six, my parents went through uh, a divorce. And this is important to my faith journey in that uh, my mom left the church. So we had been a very traditional Adventist family, special K-loaf, like vegetarian type people. Um, went to you know church every Saturday, very integrated with the community. Mm. Um, and then my mom left the church and the state. And uh, my parents both ended up getting married very, very soon after, maybe a year or two mm. at most after the divorce. Both married non-Adventist people. Um, so my understanding of faith, which had been so structured, and so, you know, I knew the rules, I knew the boundaries and everything, uh, really fell apart. At, at six, seven years old when it came to looking at my own family. We went from having family worship to not having family worship. We went from, you know, being taught to eat vegetarian to both of my parents just completely abandoning that. Um, when I would go and visit my my mom and, and her new husband, there would be, like, beer in the fridge, and I didn't understand, like, what is happening to my world. You know, what this, this existence was not one that I knew. Mm. And so... You know, I really retreated into what I learned in school because school for me was in the Seventh Day Adventist educational system. You have worship every morning. You have, uh, you know, mid middle of the day chapel things that happen. Um, Your social events. You always start with prayer. Uh, Everything is kind of biblically themed. Um, It's very very traditional, conservative upbringing, but. Uh, this is where my faith was formed. It was formed in school and at church, not necessarily at home at all, uh, from, you know, first grade on. And so I was being exposed to a couple of different ways of life. Uh, it was very, I would say legalistic and judgmental in my, my teachings. And then I would go home and my dad would be blasting classic rock out of the the shop where he was working on cars and that kind of Mm. thing. Um, ended up starting a construction business where you know I'd be working alongside people that were you know swearing and whatever and so it was just kind of these two diverging uh, paths and so yeah that that's kind of the start that I got and and my understanding of my faith as a Seventh-day Adventist came from what I learned in school and the same church that I went to for the next 14 years.
0: Mm. Wow. Okay. So there, it is funny with how how kind of all over the place your your journey really is, and and I don't mean that in like a negative way. It's mm-hmm. Just like it can be crazy. I, I I know even looking back on my own journey, it can be crazy thinking of all the different places and all the different things that actually impacted my journey. Out of out of those things, I guess which one would you say was probably the most impactful towards either building or maybe tearing down? I don't know what word I want there, but um your faith.
2: Yeah, I, I, I gotta say it's both. I mean being in the same spot and not exposed to other communities well, uh, both built the initial faith that I had and the kind of uh deeper theological workings. mm mm-hmm. Of, of the Seventh-day Adventist faith, um, but it's also what made me ultimately decide to leave the church later on in life, uh, because I'd been exposed to one perspective, yes or no, are you with us or against us? This is the only way to do uh, Christianity and Seventh-day Adventism, and if you don't fit that, get out. Hmm. And so I took that to heart, and eventually later on, I was in the crowd of get out, um, so, mm. so it's really, it's, it's taken a lot of, uh, physically involving myself in other communities and, and going and and getting to know them and hearing the stories of other people to reach like a broader understanding of faith in general, even within my own denomination. Mm. Uh, but you know, I kind of held to the same system, uh, until early on in college, I think.
1: Now, now I'm just curious, going back to this idea that the community was you accepted or you're out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you mentioned, and I realized you were like six, so Mm -hmm. it was pretty young, but I'm, I'm curious if you can shed any light on it. Was, was that kind of faith community mentality part of maybe what affected the divorce? And in other words, you said your mom left the, the faith, so to speak. And I'm curious, was it a matter of she left the faith, and so therefore she had to leave you guys because it was take it or leave it? Or was it more she left you guys and therefore also left the hmm. faith too? Or do you, do you know? I'm just, I'm just curious if that would have had any sort of like impact, even at six, to helping further that kind of assessment of how you related to faith. I don't want to put too much on her perspective and what
2: she was going through as a you know, 26-year-old Uh, woman at the time. I will say that I think it had much more to do with the individual personalities of my parents. Um, And I think that this was really the first time that she had the option of, you know, being completely free of the expectations of both um, being part of an Adventist household, uh, being part of her parents' Adventist household or our little family's Adventist household, moving to a new area, marrying Mm. somebody that was an Adventist I don't know that um, that I would say that that faith community affected their marriage either way because, again, I was six, and they haven't specifically told me that. Right. Uh, but I will say that the, she was given a freedom that she didn't have to kind of explore whether she believed in God, uh, mm. where she stood with religion, that kind of thing, without kind of the same pressures that that came with the different commitments that she had taken on over over time.
1: Wow. And so in a somewhat similar way, not the exact same, but you're saying by the time you reached up in high school, it was kind of your chance that you needed to find the safe space mm. to to go through that as well. And in a sense, I'm not trying to be overly poetic, but you reached a point where you also, for the sake of of the reconstructive or deconstructive journey, you had to have a divorce. Sort if, of. If, if you will. I mean, I'm Mine... not trying to be crude with the analogy, but— so uh, too late. <laughs> relying yeah. Yeah. relying
2: on what I, my understanding of my mom's own journey from our conversations, uh, she really questioned the existence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, my perspective, I have never questioned the existence of God. I have I have looked at the the evidence that I see, um, but I have always believed that it's more impossible for life to exist outside of a spark. Right. I I, just the fact that something came from nothing and that concept right there uh, is impossible no matter, no matter whether you believe in God or not. That life didn't exist and then it did. So I've always been on the side of there is a higher purpose, there is a higher power. Um, My issue later in life came with institutional religion. Right. My issue was. I understand my calling and my purpose and what I want from life and who I want to be. Church, at the point that I left it, seemed to be getting in the way of my relationship with God. Mm. Uh, And so it was really, I rejected programming, I rejected structure, I rejected fluff that seemed to uh, be what we were choosing instead of service. You rejected the formalism in, in
0: some way, shape, or form, yeah. And
2: it wasn't a preference thing it really wasn't. I've always been in churches that were more traditional, even though I, um, if I were choosing, never had a problem with drums, like, you know, like these different things that people fight about. Um, It was a a question of, of values of deeply held uh, service to other people, community centered values. And, you know, when I, when I saw us week after week going to church together, and then I looked at my community and I said, okay, these are the problems I see in my community. And here's what we're talking about at church. You know, we're, we're rehashing what may happen in the end of time. We're rehashing, you know, uh, prophecies and all of these different things while my community starves, while my community goes through abuse and, and mm. you know, all these different things. And I'm like, why spend my time arguing about these things when I can help people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 if I'm going to contribute money and time, where do I put that? Do I put it behind this kind of closed-off group or do I put it behind actual efforts, Christian or not, that are improving lives? You know, and that's that's really what what led to me leaving initially was that what I believed about God and what he would want me to be doing did not align with what I felt like I was doing by attending church.
0: So, the this this all begs the question when you left, where did you go? Like what what did you leave mm. for? Because one one challenge that that I see a lot when when and granted, this is your past self, so sure. there's a certain aspect of what I'm about to say that we literally like it's unfair because you can't there's no going back and changing any of that. But one criticism that a lot of people level at people who leave the church for any reason for reasons like what you've stated is that then those people don't end up doing any of the things that they that say they value, anyway, yeah. right? Like, um, for me, I stopped attending church for a while because I felt that going to church was more damaging to my faith than mm-hmm. than actually um, than what I could do on my own. But then I quickly realized that all I was doing was sleeping in, on mm. you know, instead of going to church and not doing anything, uh, kind of to maintain that relationship with God in community or in my own person personal life. So I was almost a hypocrite. I was a hypocrite in that way back then. And so uh, yeah I, my question is in order to prioritize those things mm-hmm. like where did what did you leave for where did you go
2: yeah i think i think some of that could be said for me too but i think that i did take the initiative to really get involved in my community um one thing that i was facing at the time was my wife and i were desperately broke driving a car that would I was terrified would overheat on the way to church. That's only 30- because you're so hot, Caleb. <laughs> uh, every car should be worried about being overheated. Um, and so, and I was, I was working full-time and trying to go back to school. So on Saturday, some of that I did spend resting where I hadn't, you mm. know, if I dedicated that day to church. Yeah. Um, but I also took the time to really get to know a lot of people in my community, especially what I fell into is um, there were a whole lot of very broke young people around me that had come to Charleston either to be musicians or actors or
1: models or... Yeah, so you've moved away from Indiana at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah, so um, if you want the quick story on that, I graduated high school. Um, I packed up my things at 18 years old, and I moved out of my uh, dad and stepmom's house while they weren't home. Without telling them, Oh, wow. Um, there's a whole story on uh, an abusive situation that I lived in for 12 years. Um, behind that, but that would be, you know, if we if we have time, I'll, I'm happy to go back into that. But it's oh. it's a long one. Um, went off to Kettering College in Dayton, Ohio, for two years. Got married at 20. My wife was 18, and moved to South Carolina. Dropped out of college, and that's where we ended up, and that's where I was when I left church. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, like I said, no easy answers. Um, But at this time, we were new in the area, had no money, so I was just really getting to know the people around me, and there was this kind of burgeoning entertainment scene going on. And what I found was what I had thought of people who were public people I had always thought that they had a lot of money, that they had good lives, you know, these kinds of things. What I found was a lot of people sleeping in their car. A lot of people um, just who had done a similar thing to me packed up and and left for something else. And so what I started doing is just working with them, you know, figuring out ways to support them. Um, However, I could at the time, I couldn't really like drive them around myself because we were broke. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did start forming those relationships and and just kind of connecting them with other people in the community and started getting this kind of role as a middleman of I don't have any money, I don't have any resources, but what I can do is give you an opportunity with this other person that's looking for someone. you know, I can get you work or I can get you uh, somewhere to sleep or I can get you you know these different things and so that's kind of how I got involved. Um, I had several years where I was trying to do similar things. Uh, I worked on something like 30 different movie sets and film sets as a background, which you need no skill for that. That's not... <laughs> and it <know>, also <laughs>
1: doesn't really help you with the broke part because you barely make any money. No, you, you make minimum wage. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, but I met a lot of people that way. And through through my life, I've continued to support them even now where if somebody shows up in portland this doesn't get publicized but there are lots of people who come through that sleep or at least stop in yeah um and and just get kind of a safe domestic place between yeah. months of travel or or whatever
0: one thing that that kind of gets lost here and and just if you could elaborate on this a little mm-hmm. bit um you say like i i worked with those people i met those people and you shared one way in which you did yeah how did you but how did you how did you find those, those people that you did connect with? Like what were the You moved to South Carolina, mm. what, like, and you moved to Charleston. What, what, what are the steps you took to actually find the people that you were trying to work with and meet
2: and, and be in relationship with? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I, I met them in a lot of different ways. So uh, this is kind of when I started really getting heavily into the internet and social media. So um, if you see somebody who has 90 Facebook likes that has a guitar in their hand, and they're playing next to your house at some restaurant, uh, that person is not famous. <laughs> oh, gotcha. That person does not have money, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so you kind of know the people who uh, you can actually mm. talk to as a person and the people that uh, are not going to give you the time of day. And likely. you became their 91st like. Is Absolutely. What you're saying. Not just I, w- I wouldn't just be their 91st. I would, I would find ways to get their name into other spaces where they'd, they'd wake up two weeks
1: later with 150. You know, so I, I words, used, get them out of Panera Bread and put them in, yeah, you know, the trendy spot up. in Charleston or something. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so so I really used my voice as support early on when I had no money. Mm. And, and I would say that's still true. <laughs> I, accurate. That's, I can uh, confirm these. Yeah, this information. That's, that's consistent. I started to understand social currency in that people saying good things about you leads to opportunities for you. And while I could not provide those opportunities, what I could do is get it in front of someone who could. Mm. Um, that I don't want to say my entire life was unselfish. Like I did plenty of things like to try and be involved for myself. I was like working, like I said, on movie sets. I had plenty of times where I did just sleep all day. Um, but I I do think as a daily part of my life. I actively looked for ways to elevate the the people around me. Mm. Um, and and just contributed to, you know, learning and growing myself and also just whatever seemed to be helping the, the community, you know, volunteering for other people's shifts at work to give them some time with their kids, all mm. kinds of things. Wow. Um, no, that's awesome.
0: And thank you for some of that practical stuff. Like, really, you... I, we overthink this, and that's part of why I asked that question is, like, we overthink what it actually means to connect with your community around you, and really what it just means is showing up. Yeah. Like, show up to community meetings, show up to town halls, show up to, con- to, to, to night concerts and approach the musician, tell him, good job, and... Ask them how they became a mus Like, just ask them and be interested in people's lives, you know? Like, this isn't rocket science. You mean
1: I can't connect to my community just sitting at home wondering why I'm not connected to my community? (sighs) No,
0: you also can't do it while sitting in the pews of your church not connecting with your community.
1: Yeah. Oh, but I'm I'm a Velcro Christian. I'm just Velcroed to the pew waiting for liftoff. Well, then the Velcro will hold you down. There is no liftoff. I think trying to
2: make myself a safe place for people to talk about deep issues they were having started... During this time oh. I think that I think that I was the person who, after my shift, I didn't rush home. if there was somebody who was going through something difficult, I would stay with them. Um, if there was somebody who you know needed time off, I even had people that um, had drug problems that were coworkers of mine that you know i I didn't take them to rehab or anything, but what I did was try to just listen and give them some time and Usually what I found was that there was some kind of deep pain. Some of them were in abusive relationships. Some of them were just in it because they were in poverty, you know, and, and got to know drug dealers and all kinds of different people. Yeah. Uh, but, but really just started trying and pushing at the edges of, of listening to people before I really could formulate what that service was.
1: Mm. Now, now that being said, going on the place where you said you just wanted to make a safe space mm-hmm. for people to to communicate to kind of understand, I, I'm curious. This might be bringing us back to the topic before. Is this was this born out of any need some somehow within yourself? Because I know you said you weren't like totally selfless. I don't think any of us are when we're we're doing these things. Was this speaking to a need where you had not had the safe spaces? to communicate, to be understood. I don't, I don't know if that's kind of like hinting at that abuse you were talking about yeah. or something else. And so you were like, well, part of what I'm going to do is, is facilitate what I didn't get when I needed it.
2: I think very clearly. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was in a position where I was afraid to go home when I got mm-hmm. off of school. I was in a position where seeing my house filled me with dread, like I would mm-hmm. want to be somewhere else. And when I was home, I was imagining that I was somewhere else. I did wow. not grow up in a place where I could talk about my issues or yeah. um and I was in a situation where I had been isolated from my my other friends and family where I did not feel safe talking to them not because they were bad people but because the word might get out and I might get some kind of extreme punishment hmm. or for being honest about my situation. Yeah. And so absolutely this this came from knowing that how many people out there live this life where such a simple thing of just sitting with them and being safe and trustworthy is, is a luxury that they have not been afforded. Hmm. Um, and it affects everything. It affects your view of God, your view of yourself. Um, I went through a couple of years of, uh, I mean, I've struggled with depression all my life, but, uh, especially early high school, um, I went through just deep periods of I never attempted suicide, but waking up and wishing I didn't have to and just thinking if this is the life that I have to live for 80 years, I don't want it. I can't stand the thought of existing. I was just so, so tired of what life seemed like it was and I thought, why do I have to every day come back to this? You know, why why should anybody have to endure existence? Um, and so I think, you know, m- meeting my wife really—we started dating at fifteen and sixteen—was um, one of the the times where I started having someone around me saying things don't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. That uh, you are valuable. That there's a greater purpose, and this isn't how it's always going to be. Um, so, being exposed to a different perspective, and even a different view of God, uh, put that in my heart to to provide that perspective, to provide that hope uh, to other people, because I could see the difference, and and I knew other people hadn't been hadn't gotten to that point yet. Mm.
0: Thank you for your honesty there um and i can say I, I i do resonate with a lot of what you've said um i have been suicidal myself in mm-hmm. my own life um yeah. and on top of that there's a lot of the service and things that i do um that that really is born out of a desire to make sure that no one else feels the same way that i yes. did right and um that is a real thing and so uh it is it is <laughs> This is this is twisted, I guess. There's no other way around it. But like, it is it is comforting to sit around the, the table with with two individuals that I know have kind of been down that road, um, because it, it you know there's there's comfort and safety in numbers. There's misery loves its company, so to speak. But at the same time, you know, whenever I say something like that, I also say the flip side of it, which is that I wish we never had to have like I wish that wasn't a mm, thing we had. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, it's not I, the thing you wish you had in common. Exactly. But, but if but I am at the end of the day, still glad that it is something that we share. I think I think that is something really powerful. And I know that there's someone listening that probably oh. feels exactly the same and know that you're in good company. Um,
1: so, And that there is a way out that you can get help. Yeah, absolutely. I, all
0: yeah. three of us are evidence... Of, the fact that all three of us are sitting <laughs> here is evidence of it, for sure. Yeah. Um, but there is a way out, absolutely. Sorry to interrupt you, Henry. I, no, no, no. I mean,
1: you know, I was just about to make another one of our traditional plugs for therapy. Yes, yes uh, absolutely. There's, we've had... <laughs> Up to the point of recording this, we've had one episode where we don't mention the benefit, and joy, and wonder of going to therapy and that And that was it. And I think when we both finished recording that and realized we didn't mention it, how could we? So yeah. now we find a way to work yeah, it in. Yeah, we just shoehorn it in. Single. So, um, all of this, I guess, informed
0: your your way back to, like, you would now work with the denomination. So, yeah. how do you go from where you were? Like, what what what? what were the steps that started bringing you back to engaging with the denomination more or um, with a faith community more? Because what you're describing is, is not really affiliated with any sort of like, this is you personally just doing your thing. Yeah. Almost like a wandering, like a vagabond <laughs> yeah. going through and, and serving people, which is awesome. And I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying like, how do you, what were the steps that went from there to you being open to engaging with a church again and, um, and starting to embrace the more communal part of faith with,
1: other like with other believers specifically mm-hmm. yeah the more organized yeah. setup i'm um, not that what you were doing didn't have like organization and, and flow to it but i guess what we the institution. Say is more. yeah
2: and and i don't want to glamorize that period of time too much i think it can be easy to get the picture that this is how i spent all my time i didn't um but it is how i kind of maintained my relationship with god yeah um and so yeah i i, I think some big questions started coming up in my mind over time. Um, One is, like you said, how am I actually using this time instead of going to church? Mm. Um, There had been plenty where I thought, hmm, it's not really justified, you know? Yeah. But other questions were, I could see the effects of serving other people from, from early on. And I started asking myself, like, you know if 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 i can do something and see that it is good or i can see it in other people i can't be better than god right like my yeah. my view growing up was a very shame guilt driven fear driven understanding of god like you know he's out to you know if you mess up you're not ready for the end of time you're not ready for him to come back and get you like you're going to go to hell all of these different things and and it was really about Analyzing every piece of my life and throwing out whatever was sinful, and so I started. I started asking, you know, I'm nicer than that, and I'm not the perfect person. I know plenty of people who are nicer than this God that I was raised with. How can that be? Like, how how can there be a, a human being that I'm more, uh, I trust more than God? How can there be humans that I see good in more than God? And The more I kind of craved that and sought that out and saw it with my own eyes, the more I started saying maybe my understanding of God is not correct. Uh, If God is the ultimate force of good in the world, then every good thing comes from Him. And so this was kind of going through my head as I continued not going to church. But I think a couple of things really contributed to me attending regularly again. I told you that my, my mom had left the church, my stepdad had never been Adventist. Um, they went back They decided to go back to church years after I got married. Mm. I mean, my adult life, like we had a close relationship with them now. We lived close to them in South Carolina, um, just some of the most, you know, closest relationship that we had at that point. And they chose to go back to church, my mom who had left. And my stepdad who had never joined. And so the people that I knew them as growing up, they were the same people, but, but I saw the struggle of uh, kind of that internal struggle where they were just like, you know, we need to be doing more. We need to be involved. We need to commit ourselves to this. And we believe that there's something beautiful here that we've been missing out on. Mm. They joined first. And I uh, ended up in this situation where my grandparents had moved to this little country town, South Carolina. My parents moved to be close to them. All four of them joined this little church, took up leadership roles, and <laughs> I remember my wife and I would drive to Orangeburg from Charleston, where we were living, just to do laundry at my parents' house. And they would Which be like ch- over an hour away. Yeah. It's a, it's an hour, but we didn't have a washing <laughs> machine and we wanted to see them and do laundry. So we'd bring our laundry. We'd be at their house without them doing laundry. And then they would come home from church. We would all cook together. We would all eat. And we'd sit around the living room with me, my wife, my parents, and my grandparents, three different generations of people. And they'd talk about what they learned in church that day. Sometimes the pastor would come over Um And just, I remember being so proud of them because I knew their journey. I knew the different struggles and things that they had overcome and the things that I had dealt with with them as a kid. And then to just see them take the initiative and go to a church that they weren't personally that drawn to. Like there wasn't, it it wasn't offering them much. And yet they took this attitude of like, I'm going to be involved. I'm going to contribute. I'm going to do something. Um, I was really inspired by it. And then the pastor, um, Pastor Jeff, he, he really, I think, was kind of the final piece in this where his approach to me, I expected him to be a salesman. I'd grown up knowing pastors. I knew what, how Adventists treated people outside the church. I thought this guy is going to approach me as someone who is a transaction, like, you know, come back to church, that kind of thing. And he didn't do that. Uh, he, he enjoyed time with me for the sake of time with me, set up lunch together. Um, we could talk about things that weren't theology mm. uh, and just built this relationship. And uh, the church was going through really trying to understand their place and how to reach people that weren't there, how to reach younger people, especially. And I remember they would just ask me questions, what I thought even as someone who wasn't a member there. Uh, and the more they kind of valued my contributions, the more I was drawn to that. And I ended up going back to that church and joining. And by the time I, I moved to Portland, I was preaching there, running social media there, doing Sabbath school there, like very involved
1: in the local church. Adventist equivalent yeah. of Sunday school, everyone, <laughs> <the> Sabbath school. <laughs> right, but... Um, just so you know. <laughs> almost in a, in a sense... Not trying to be punny, but like a very beautiful picture of faith right there is that for the first time this individual church there yeah. was modeling what you had been doing for people yes. mm-hmm. outside of it. Absolutely. They were providing a, a safe space mm-hmm. that you hadn't had both in a family setting and a denominational setting and a work setting. And they flipped it kind of paid it forward. They they brought it back.
2: And I was watching how they treated my parents because you've got a guy coming in who doesn't know all the Adventist lingo, who doesn't know where everybody, like all the norms, mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to always be what you want. You've got my mom who left, who is still not going to get with the program if she doesn't feel like it, you know. And, and I watched them accept them and not just accept them, but give them meaningful roles mm. in that church. Mm. And very easily, had they handled it different with my parents or had the pastor been different, I probably wouldn't have joined and I probably wouldn't have joined another church. You know, I I would just be where I was.
1: Mm, Wow.
0: And I think what I love about that the most is that, um, I mean, there's an element of your story that's, that's incredibly unique, right? Like that, that whole, all those circumstances coming together, that's Mm. not everyone's necessary. That's not necessarily everyone's story or can even be close to that. Um, and I love that it really is a story that's unique to you and something that benefited not your journey back to church included the journey back to faith for you know other people in your family mm-hmm. as well like this was a family affair, so to speak um, and I love that like I love that for you. I love that part of your journey and and the thing from from this portion that I think really extends beyond that even is um, the idea that you were able to connect with the church that Care, the important, I I think what I'm saying is the importance of connecting with a community that active actually cares about you and that values some of the things that you value, mm-hmm. obviously in line with you know, faith and belief and and proper faith and belief whatever. But, um, and um that they not just value that they value you, your voice, your perspective, your input and, and contribution. Um, and then they they actually put that into action. I, mm-hmm. I I think those four things are something that that so many churches are lacking so many faith communities are lacking. And so, of course, people walk out. But those, like you and your family, I think, are real concrete examples of this is, this is the kind of beauty that can happen yeah. when you actually start to do things differently and when you, start to, when you start to stop doing things the way that you've always done them and start to value the people that are outside your church doors as much as you value those or even more than you value those that are already in. Um, that, like, that's huge. Like, yeah. th- that your story speaks volumes to that experience. Um, so I think the next question then is, so now you're in Portland, mm-hmm. um, and during that time you started humans of Adventism and that's when, um, you started, you know, doing, I think I referenced it as the circuit, um, <laughs> to you before, but you know, you speak at a lot of events, you're down You're here, you're here in Charlotte, uh, both of you are presenting this, you know, at, at an event this upcoming weekend and, um, you know, that it's really cool to see. Um, so as you engaged with the denomination as a whole, obviously humans of Adventism kind of catapulted you Mm -hmm. beyond just your local city. So what, from, from connecting with church and being engaged there to where you are now, um, what were some of those key moments or key things that really kept inspiring you and motivating you and, and
2: engaging you? I think one thing that hasn't changed in me is that I am not willing to let a denomination get in the way of whatever purpose God has for me. Mm. Um, I think that's clear in Humans of Adventism, which is still independent yeah. from my denomination. Um, but whenever there's something healthy, and that is supporting God's work that I can identify, I'm, I want to be part of it. You know, and, and so what I've been finding is ways to support the things that I truly believe are God at work in this world, through my denomination, and then where there, there are purposes that I have to accomplish without their support, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, and, and no matter w- what the church decides to do, uh, my calling doesn't change. You know, it might change in how I relate to them. Uh, it might change in, in the dynamics of that. But whether I am, the work is recognized or not, my primary intent is to know God and to know his purpose for me and to do that. Um, I think, I think one thing that's changed is that, you know, I, I went from kind of being all in with a certain mentality to kind of separating myself from it. And when I came back, there was still so much cynicism. Um, whenever I approached Adventist leadership, whenever I approached pastors or, um, people who just seemed like they were completely insulated by the Adventist bubble, um, there was some amount of judgment that I had for them uh, because I, I viewed what they were doing as a, a hindrance to, to God at work in this world mm. uh, sometimes. And, and I was skeptical of uh, the people's motives quite a bit. And I think over the past couple of years... Uh, what I've found is there are a lot of people who are just in the same place that I am, in that they're trying to understand God's calling in their life too. And I can't expect them to to have it more figured out than I do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I I can't I can't be the type of person who is just looking for for how I should be served. Um, what I need to do is is spend my time figuring out the best ways to contribute and doing that. And so I would say my faith has changed in that I stopped letting my denomination define what that was. Um, I can let it inform it. I can mm. let it inspire it. But to be an Adventist is not what my you know, Adventist leadership describes to me. Uh, it is not. They are not the direct voice of God. They're just people trying to figure things out, like I am. Mm
1: -hmm. So, (laughs) I I was just gonna say. I mean, how ironic then? I'm curious how this has been for your faith journey. Yeah, you've gone from leaving Mm -hmm. community to being loved back in in a local context. Yep. To still having that passion that you're just very upfront with, which I really appreciate. You're like, no, I'm not gonna let the denomination. Get in mm-hmm. the way of what I'm called to do, and yet at the same time, more recently in your story, yeah, the church, the institution itself, the thing that has often gotten in the way, has now hired you, yeah, to, to do what you do, to to do what you do. And I'm just curious, how, what was? I mean, you and I have talked some off mic about this, but I just, I just love to hear it again, or maybe in more detail for for our listeners, like. What has that been for your faith to step into, I mean, obviously this one part of the institution isn't the whole thing, but yeah, what must that be like to have gone on that journey and then have the institution itself turn around and go, you know what, we want to affirm you and empower yeah. you to do the thing that for so long you were fighting us to do?
2: Yeah, I think uh,
1: the, the realization that the institution is not a monolith was key.
2: Uh, that there are still plenty of spaces within the Seventh-day Adventist church that I would not be fully welcome to do what I'm doing. Um, I had to find a place that did welcome it and empowered it. Um, But I also think that that because we're made of people, we grow and change. And I still reject a lot of the same things that I rejected when I left. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, I reject the mistreatment of people. I reject wasted time. You know, I, I want to be part of something that actively communicate, or that communicates love to my community and contributes in tangible ways to their health and well-being. That hasn't changed. Uh, what has changed is being exposed to the, the, the kind of shining lights within our institution that are already doing that. Uh, and, and people who have been doing this all throughout the time when I left and didn't, you know their their stories have been these individual pieces and and journeys with God where they 've already been doing this stuff. The problem was i didn 't know they existed. Uh, even when I started Humans of Adventism, I was very newly coming to the the realization that there were other people going through similar experiences that were recognizing uh, missing pieces in our story, missing pieces in our our service and identifying issues that, that we would like to, to help solve. And I only became aware of them really at first through the internet. I, I didn't know that that was a possibility. It, it, I was coming from this all or nothing mentality and viewing myself as not part of that and then coming across these new things where it was people who were willing to support the good things but, but also had taken it upon themselves to do something more. And I think once I started finding that, I was really empowered to, to do the same. I think still now working with the institution, there are, there are disagreements we have, plenty of them. Um, but this is the first time in my life where I have felt like, when I work for you, I am, I'm willing to do these tasks for you. And they say, and they give me the freedom of, you can also do this other thing, right? You can also uh-huh. contribute in this other way. And I don't know that that's always existed. Uh, I think that more and more we're coming to the realization that we don't have to own people, that we, we can have them do specific helpful things. And if they're doing something separate independently that is great, we can empower them to do that. Uh-huh. So I've, I've been lucky to find that space. But if it was all or nothing, I would still say no and if it gets to be all or nothing i will leave you know not maybe not attendance but but working with the the institution those values have held pretty strongly consistently throughout
0: no i think i think as as you know time has gone on one of the things that is that uh kind of older generations have had to or are learning to embrace about millennials and and gen z and even some late gen x um that you know those three is that th- we no longer live in kind of a singular world, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like We occupy, comp- we occupy several different spaces. Um, it's almost like it, in a world of influencer marketing or brand marketing or whatever, like several of us will, will, will represent several different brands almost at the same time. Mm-hmm. And those worlds are totally separate from each other. I'm not necessarily that we wear many faces or wearing masks and we're not authentic, but rather just that we occupy this space, we occupy this space, and we can move between them without violating our own ethics. Yep. And that's been really hard for institutions because institutions say, you know, being risk averse and, and trying to minimize any risk to reputations. And, and this is not just church. This is across the board organizations and businesses too, um, where they say, no, like the things that you do outside of here affect here. Mm. Um, and learning that, that we operate in a world that well, yes, that is true. There's also room for that flexibility to move between those spaces in a way that doesn't violate the ethics yeah. of anyone involved.
2: And and the truth is I don't they don't want, you know, from an institutional standpoint, you don't want to violate your your ethics as an institution. From my standpoint as a content creator, I don't want to violate mine by working for you. You know, there mm. there are the whole reason that I've, I kind of had to operate independently, especially at first, was because I had values that were being pushed out by if I had worked within the spaces that I had been exposed to. And, you know, I, I really think that I still structure my life with a safety net. Um, I still am a contractor for the Oregon Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, which means that I've given up benefits to my life in order to have the freedom to operate independently on other things. Uh, so I'm free to be here working on this, mm-hmm. right? I'm free to travel. I'm free to manage my time how I want. Uh, but the downside is I don't make nearly the money that employees do. Mm-hmm. I don't have the, the you know, healthcare benefits or any of that. And that's a choice. You know, if given the choice to give up that independence for the benefits, I wouldn't take mm-hmm. it.
0: So what we're saying is you can support Caleb by going to patreon dot com <laughs> slash I'm just kidding, he doesn't have a Patreon yet. Um Well Idea, he does for humans Idea, of Adventism. Yeah. That's actually true. That's true. I was gonna say slash Caleb Isley, but like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you don't check have the a show notes. Yeah, you don't have you correct. a you don't have a personal Patreon, but you do have humans of Adventism and, and um if <laughs> Slash Caleb's
2: groceries. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> if gas
0: money um if you resonate with what Caleb has said and you want to support what he's doing is he um, you know amplifies the voices of those who have very real stories and experiences within his own denomination. Um, and you just want to support what he's doing and support him. Please go check out his Patreon, um, in the show notes and, and throw him a dollar, throw him $2, throw him a hundred dollars, um, whatever you want to throw him, I'm sure he will appreciate and will go towards groceries 100%, um, as well as, you know, health and health, health
1: care. That, right. that, that kind of thing, right. living, surviving. Speaking of saying thanks as we begin to wrap this up, obviously, we really thank you for being willing to, to share this, this journey uh, with us. Uh, but at the same time, we, we want to give you an opportunity for final thoughts. Is there an aspect of your story or just something you really wish if, if, if people had one takeaway? Yeah, to, to take from your story, one thing that you'd want to say about hey, if you're going through the reconstructive journey, if you're if you're in a place right now where you're feeling isolated or it's not safe, and 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 you're trying to find God, you're trying to find your 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 niche in life, um, uh, give us some words of wisdom. Give us what would you, what would you have to say to them in that case?
2: Yeah, I, I want to go back to that space that led me back, um, and I I also want to preface this by saying I don't think it's the best decision for everyone to come back to church. At least not immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are plenty of people in locations and with transportation needs and that kind of thing that the only church option that they have in their area is a toxic one. Mm -hmm. I do not recommend they go back to the toxic church, right? Um, However, I think the important questions you should be self analytical. You should be asking Am I doing this out of self serving reasons? Am I doing this out of laziness? Do I, do I just not want to commit to something? You know, Am I looking at what religion can give me instead of how I can use it to better the world around me? Um, it's important that you ask those questions every day to yourself in church or not. And I think finding a way to, to continue questioning God and his purpose for you uh, is gonna be something that you should take with you for the rest of your life. And I hope that that reconstruction process invites it, uh, leads to finding a community that encourages your relationship with God and, and cuts away the damaging and toxic ones. Um, if we can help make church that for you, that's what I'm working toward every day. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, Caleb, thank you so much for sharing your journey, just as, as Henry said, and, um, I appreciate your friendship I'm sure that Henry does too. Just obviously Absolutely. not as much as me. Um, <laughs> wow! This has been the most relaxed episode of a beautiful okay, Faith talk, ever, about, talk about
1: branching out. Yeah,
0: you know uh, the. But no, really, thank you for your journey. Thank you for the work that you do. Um, all three of us do belong to the same denomination. So thank you for the work you do right at home. <laughs> yes. Uh, for the three of us. And um, if anyone has any questions about Seventh-day Adventism, not that we're trying to like sell our denomination, but if anyone's just curious, we're happy to talk about it and tell you. But
1: we're not trying to shove that down anyone's throat on this show, period. Right. And um, if there is somebody listening that also has a story outside of this context, this particular denominational context, and you would be willing to share that, please get in touch with us. Our contact information is yep. in the show notes. Uh, we would be more than happy. This is about the reconstructive journey all the way around, and uh, we don't want to pigeonhole it to think that this is the only way you reconstruct. So Exactly. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.